Bible, please uh, open it up. You have a Bible in front of you, but also we're going to have the scriptures on the screen. If you go to the uh, Gospel of Luke chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 13. So Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13 is the scripture uh, for today. And we're going to go all the way to verse 21. And it says this. Someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus of grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then... Who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. So today we're finishing our series on money, sex, and marriage. And I want to tell you that next week we're starting a brand new series called Jesus Wins. Jesus Wins, okay? Spoiler alert. He wins, all right? Some of you guys already know this, but this is, this is going to be a preamble that's going to uh, end on Easter Sunday, which is going to be um, April the 9th. And so I want you guys to already start thinking, preparing your hearts, uh, because it's a big Sunday that you will bring your friends and your neighbors to church on April the 9th. But next Next week, we're starting a brand new series called Jesus Wins, and I promise you, if your heart is open, this message series is going to change you uh, in a good way. Some people don't want to change, but I think it's good that we change and we make progress. But, um, so that's the series starting next week, and so be sure to be here for the whole, the entire uh, series. And so we're finishing today uh, this series, and we've talked about the fact that this series is a countercultural series, because, because the, the, the Bible says a lot about sex. And so does the world, right? The, the Bible talks a lot about, about marriage, and so does the, the world. And, and the Bible talks a lot about money, and so does the world. And so we've discovered throughout this series that all the things that we've been talking about are very countercultural. It's like, wait a minute, the Bible says this, and it's actually really the opposite of what the world is saying. And so today we're going to talk about, about money. And this is the topic that you're going to be talking about in your growth groups also today. And the subtitle that I've, that I've thought about is how to be rich, how to be rich. Now, it's really interesting because if you notice in the scripture that we just read, you can discover the key to being rich, okay? So we're going to talk about that a little bit here. So how many of you guys here would love to be rich? How many of you guys, like, like my wife and I sometimes will talk about what would we do if we had $100 million, now, I, I, want, I would like to think that our lives wouldn't change that much. You know, like we'd still shop at Costco. We'd still go to Target. Like we would still do the things that we do. Maybe we'd have a little bit nicer cars. But in general, we would just kind of live the way that we live. Because we've heard over and over again, you know, um, money doesn't make you happy. Like money doesn't make you happy. And I believe that money won't make you happy. But I'd like to give it a try. Like just give me a bunch of money and then I'll, I'll know for sure. And then I'll tell you how it goes, Right? 
So many of you think that way, and I think it's true. We understand the concept of money not making you happy, but the, the reality is that we still have this concept of money that I think is maybe not a biblical way of looking at it. And so what would you do if you were rich? Like, what would I do if I were rich? But you know, there's a, there's a problem with that question. Because asking the question, what would you do if you were rich, assumes that you're not. And so I want to prove to you in the next couple of minutes that you're actually rich. And we've done this before, so you probably know what's coming. But listen to this. It's a good reminder. 8% of the world live on less than $2 per day. 50% of the world live on less than $6 per day. So if you make... If you make over $2,190 per year, you're actually in the top 50% of wage earners in the whole world. And I would argue that's all of us here. If you have coffee once a month, like you go to Starbucks and have an expensive coffee, right? Or you have multiple choices of clothes, or if you're here and you you have a subscription to, to Netflix, or you go out to eat maybe once a month, even if it's Taco Bell, right? you are actually in the top 50% of wage earners in the world. So congratulations, you're rich. Okay, I don't see anyone jumping up and down like, oh my gosh, I'm rich, I didn't realize, now I'm rich. You know, one guy over here, he's super excited about that. But the point is that, 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 yes, you may say, okay, I understand that I'm rich from a global perspective, but pastor, honestly, I, I don't feel rich. Like, I know people that are rich, but that's definitely not me. Like, my neighbors are, are rich. They tore down their house, and they start, and they build, they're almost finished building this brand new house, and it's a dream house. It's beautiful. Like, in my mind, they're rich, not me. And so when I read a verse like 1 Timothy 6, 17, where it says, command those who are rich in this present world to not be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides with everything for our enjoyment. When we hear the phrase, those who are rich, I think they're talking about my neighbor. This verse is for them. But the reality is, he's talking about you, and he's talking about me. Newsflash. You and I are the rich of this world. The rich of this world are those who don't have to wonder where where their next meal is coming from. That's us. Over 50% of the world, the money that they make that day, like they work that day to make money that day, to eat that day, and then tomorrow is a new day. That's it. And so so we're part of the world. We're the part of the world that has the luxury to think about personal goals. That has the luxury to think about purpose. That has the luxury to think about the future. For half of the world, the future is dinner. You got to figure out dinner first before you can think about anything other than that. I saw this firsthand, and many of you guys have seen this firsthand in missions trips. I went in, t- in 2019, I have a picture there. I went on a missions trip to, Ni- to Nairobi, and I was in the slums of Nairobi. I was there for, for a while. And it was one of those trips, I have so many pictures, that's just one of my favorite ones. I went there, and this trip, what, this trip changed me. My kids give me a bad time about it all the time, because they're like, okay, slums of Nairobi, you're talking about that again. But seriously, it was such an impactful trip, because 
it's 2.5 million people living in extreme poverty. And it's, it's poverty beyond belief. So the women, they, in order to make money to be able to buy food, they would either have to... So this is what they would do. There was these apartment buildings that were horrible. They looked like prisons, like broken down prisons. That's where, the, that's where the rich people lived. And so they would go into those apartments, these women, and they would either clean an apartment for one or two dollars a day, or they would prostitute themselves for one or two dollars a day to be able to feed their families. And the person who was in charge of this trip, his name's Greg Green, he took us and he told us, listen, if this trip doesn't break your heart, then you probably don't have one. And I'm like, give me a break. And we went there, and I remember that first night when we were debriefing, like we spent the day there, the first day, and then we were debriefing. We're like, hey, what did you guys think? Like none of us could get a word out. We all just started sobbing. And the reason why we started sobbing is because, because we had, like, these kids, they were eating food that most of us wouldn't even give to our dogs. And, and we were sitting there afterwards at a restaurant looking at menus, deciding what it is that we wanted because we had a budget for food. And the level of guilt that we felt was so huge because it was like, why do they get to do that and we get to do this? What, why is there this incredible divide? Like, why, what have we done to be able to deserve that we have what we have? Like, like, we felt rich. You may not feel rich. I might not feel rich, like coming into America, but we felt rich that moment. And we felt guilty for being rich. Why do we get to do this? And they have to live that way. But listen, that's wrong. You shouldn't, listen, you should not feel guilty for being rich. You should not. God doesn't want you to feel guilty for being rich, and that is not my goal today either. Because the verse does not say, tell the rich of this world to stop being rich because it's bad. He says, tell the rich of this world to not be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. And he continues saying, God richly provides us with everything for what? For our enjoyment. He's blessed us, and he wants us to enjoy it. And so listen, the reason why we have to understand that we are rich is not so we feel guilty, but so we feel grateful, right? Not so we feel guilty, but so that we understand that as the rich of this world, we have a different set of obligations than the poor of this world. We have specific instructions as rich people that the poor don't have. And that's what I want to talk about in the remaining time that I have today. I'm going to set it up like this. I had a friend a while, well, he's still a friend, but we haven't seen each other in a while. And he, um, I was living in Chile at the time, and he, um, he wanted me to buy him a guitar. I was going to travel to the United States, and he wanted me to buy him a guitar. So he gave me the money for the guitar. He told me what guitar he wanted. He told me where to get it, the color, all the specifications of the guitar that he wanted. So I took the money, came to the States, went to the store, bought the guitar, went back to Chile, gave him the guitar, end of transaction. What would have happened if I would have taken the, I think it was like $3,000 that he gave me, and I would have come to the States and I would have gone to Las Vegas, and I would have gone to restaurants, and I would have gone to Disneyland, or I would have taken the money, and instead of uh, buying the guitar that he asked me to buy, I would have gotten myself a nice set of drums, right? What would have happened? I would have gone back to Chile, and he'd be like, hey, dude, where's my, uh, where's my guitar? 
I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah, I gave you money for the, for the guitar. I'm like, yeah, you gave me money, but it was my money, right? What would he say? He's like, dude, I trusted you with that, and you did whatever you wanted with that money. Okay, so some of, some of us here, the rich of this world, we assume, like, like, like we believe, many of us, we believe that everything that we have, we have received from God, and we're grateful, But the part that we don't understand is that when God gave us the money that he gave us and the wealth that he gave us, he also gave us instruction on how to manage our finances because he didn't give it to us to do whatever we want. He told us what he wants us to do with what he has given us, and there will come a day when all of us here have to give an account for what we've done with the wealth that he has given us. And so... Jesus talks about a lot of topics. He talks about sex. He talks about relationships. He talks about forgiveness. He talks about holy living. He talks about all these things. But he talks a lot about money. He talks a lot about it. Now, why does he talk so much about money? Well, because money is a strange one. People get weird with money. Like, we get strange with money. Some people say money changes you, you know, I would argue maybe it doesn't change you. It just makes you more of what you are. If you're a nice guy with money, you're going to be nicer. If you're a jerk, a jerk with money is going to be more of a jerk, right? But, but the truth is that money is a strange one. And Jesus describes money like this. He says in Matthew 6, 21, he says, for, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, where your wealth is, there your heart will be Also, so he's talking about a link, a strange link between your heart, like your motivation, like the thing that's deepest in you, and your wealth. And I've seen it. I've seen money change people. I've seen marriages break over money. I've seen seen siblings fight over the wealth that their dead parents leave behind suing each other for that. I've seen families broken over that. Money is a strange one. There's a strange link between our heart and our money. Now, to be precise, money is not the issue. It's not, it's not the, it's not, you can't blame it on money. It's like if you have, if you're overweight, you know, and it's, no, it's the spoon that made me, no, come on, the spoon's a spoon. You can do whatever you want with it, right? It's not the spoon's fault, it's what you do with it. Same thing with money. Money is neutral. It's what you do with it. Money can be good, it can be bad. You can't blame the money. What the problem is, is what you do with it or how you understand your relationship to it. So money is not the problem. The love of money is the problem, a.k.a. greed is the problem. First Timothy 6.10 says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, and I've seen this, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Like I said before, families torn apart, marriages broken, siblings suing each other over money. That's love for money. And honestly, money is easy to love. It's easy to love, right? I mean, God wants us to enjoy it. He wants us to enjoy what he's given us. But he doesn't want us to love it. God wants us to to enjoy the provision But he doesn't want us to to love the provision. He wants us to love the provider. And so what is it? What is love for money? The love for money is greed. And what is greed? Greed is thinking that what you have is yours. And it's ignorant to think that way. You'll see, that's that's why God calls this man a fool. To think that what you have is yours. 
You think, when you think that what you have is yours, you, you assume that you can do whatever you want with what's yours because it's yours, which is precisely what the guitar story is all about. And it's precisely what this parable is all about as well. Remember the parable? We just read it at the beginning. It talks about this, this person who was rich. This person was rich, and he had, he had more than he could handle. He had, he had enough for him, for his family, and for the next generation. The more he accumulated, his thought was, like, I've got so much. Like, I don't even have room for all the wealth that I have. And his thought was this. I have so much. It's like, what shall I do? You know, and I can picture Jesus teaching this, you know, to the, to the multitude or the, the crowd that was there. What shall I do? You know, this, this rich man was thinking, I got so much, what shall I do? And then I can imagine people in the audience saying, dude, I don't even know where my next meal is coming from. I'll take it, you know. And so he's thinking, this, this rich man is thinking, what shall I do? What shall I do? What, and what does this man do? Well, what he doesn't do is, oh, I've got so much that I don't have enough to fit in my barns, so I will give all the extra to those who need it. No, sir. He's like, I need bigger barns. I'm going to tear down these barns, and I'm going to be, build bigger barns so that I can fit all of my surplus in there. And he's like, then I'll be satisfied. Then finally, finally I'll have everything that I want. Have you ever thought that? Like, I just need a little more. It's a little more. If I have a little more, then that's, that's going to be the moment when it's finally, I'm finally going to feel, I'm going to feel rich. But God says in verse 20, he says, but God said to him, you fool. He calls him a fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. He says, you're going to die tonight. And who's going to get everything that you have? Which is true for all of us. Like, I'm not saying you're going to die tonight. You're going to die soon. We're all going to die soon, you know? And, some, some, and someone's going to get what you have. Someone's going to get it, you know? And God calls him a fool. Why does God call him a fool? He calls him a fool because he wasn't rich toward, toward God. And that's our instruction for today regarding money. Be rich toward God. And I'm going to explain what that means. Be rich toward God. But this man was not. This man was not rich toward God. Why was he not rich toward God? Because since he thought that everything he owned was his, it didn't cross his mind to be generous with those in need and decided instead to build bigger barns, right? We just said that. And once he dies, who's going to get what is his? Like, he, like when he dies, he said, he's going to die tonight. Who's going to get it? Like he doesn't even know, but someone's going to get it. And so the person, the, whoever's going to get it is going to get it as a result of him being dead as opposed to getting it as a result of him being generous. So what would you rather? Somebody get what you have because you're generous or because you're dead? I mean, you don't even have to be a Christian to understand this. All you have to do is, is think a little bit. Denzel Washington once said it. Quoting Denzel Washington in church. That's, I don't know what that means. I quoted Prince a couple of weeks ago. 
Um, he says this, you'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? Paul says it better to young Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 7. He says, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. Newsflash, we are mere stewards of what we have. Someone's going to get whatever you leave behind, whether it's because you're generous or because you're dead, but that's the reality of life. Being rich toward God means means picking, picking the former, right? Which is being generous. So maybe you're here today and you have a, you have a strange relationship with money. It's possible. I, mean, I think many of us do. All you have is debt. That's it. Debt, college debt, credit card debt, car debt, just debt. And you feel like a slave. It's a lot of people. It's a big percentage of, of America. Proverbs 22, 7 says this, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower, borrower is a slave to the lender. Maybe that's your relationship with money and you're thinking, if only I paid off my debt and only I had a little bit more money, then it would find, like my problems would be resolved. No, no, this was not true for the rich man. He had all the money he could ever dream of and he was also a slave. He never enjoyed it. The answer is the same for both, for those who are steeped in debt and for those who are rich. Same thing. What got you into debt can be the same reason why the rich man was never satisfied. You overspent and ended up in debt and empty, or you accumulated wealth and it didn't feel like you thought it would feel, and you ended up empty as well. Why? And this is what it is. Why? Because you thought that the accumulation of possessions would give you the joy and peace and satisfaction that only Christ can. But the reality is that when you're rich toward God and you live a life of generosity, you will have joy, you will have peace, and you will have a sense of satisfaction. You see, generosity breaks the power of greed in your life. It will break it. Many of you need to hear this because maybe you're, you're here and just like the verse says, money has pierced you with many griefs. Like you're pierced. Like it's just, it's, it's, money is just like, oh man, it's just like a, I'm grieved by it. It's just a burden, regardless of where you stand. So what I want to end with here is just talking to you with, um, about the antidote to greed. You see, what I said earlier is generosity breaks the power of greed. And gener- generosity means being rich toward God. It means living your life like a steward and not like an owner. And I don't know what this means for you today. Maybe it means you need to start giving to the church. Maybe it means you need to start giving toward a charity. Maybe you need to start giving to someone in your life that you know needs a helping hand. Maybe you need to start giving to food help. Maybe you need to start helping your neighbor. Maybe that's your next step today. But I want to explain what happens when we start giving. And this is not a sermon on tithing. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going there. We're not like, hey, we need money, so give us money. That's not what this message is. This is for you. And I want to explain it this way, because this is the fear. My family and I, we started about a month ago, started observing the Sabbath. And I'm going to talk about that in a few weeks in the, into the future. Observing the Sabbath. And you may be like, hey, you're not, we're not Jewish. Why are you observing the Sabbath? Like, no, 
I'm going to talk a little bit about why we've decided to do that. A Sabbath day is different than a day off. It's completely different because on a day off, you're like, oh, I'm going to catch up on some emails. I'm going to do a little bit of work. No, on a Sabbath, it is prohibited to work. You cannot work. And it's, it's, it's fear. I, I, it was fearful to start because your assumption is if you don't work for an entire day, then that day is wasted and you have lost those hours in the day. But the reality is that, that the work that you do outside of that Sabbath is going to be much more effective as a result of your soul being rested than it is if you just work, 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 work. And also, it's a step of faith because you realize and it help, helps you understand, hey, the world is going to continue without me. Like, the world is going to be fine without me. And so the Jewish community, they would do this, and they would also do this for their crops. So they would let the earth rest for an entire year every seven years. And the same is true with finances. You see, you may think this, and I understand this because this is logic. This is logic, 100% logic. If I give 10%, let's say, to the church, or I, give, I help someone and I'm like, I gave $100, and now I'm short $100. Like, the logic is going to tell you that that. that you can't do as much with the 90% than with the 100% of your income. That's logic, okay? But the reality is this. Listen to this verse. I love this verse. Proverbs 11:24 says this. One person gives freely. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Have you ever seen this happen? The greedier that you are, you end up with nothing. And people that live with an open hand, you realize it seems like they never lack anything. But taking that step of understanding and being rich toward God is a step of faith. It's not math, because math doesn't work that way. But you'll realize that when you understand in your heart and in your mind that everything that you have, you've received from God, I'm going to be rich toward God, I'm going to be generous because it's going to break the power of greed in my life, you realize that you are following Jesus into this because Jesus gave it all, and we're called to do the same. Now, I don't know what this means for you, and I'm not going to press you in any specific direction. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to show you what your next step is. And so we're going uh, to pray, and then I'm going to say a few things, and we're going to end. So Lord God, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy. We thank you because you gave it all. And we realize today as we're praying and as we're connecting with you and we're looking at the scriptures and we're understanding how this world works and how culture has its own agenda and it just goes so contrary to many of the things that you have taught us, that we'll be able to walk in righteousness and believing you and understanding that we are called, we are called to be rich toward you which means understanding that everything that we have, we have received, and that we are called to a life of generosity. Lord God, we, we know we're rich. We know it. Even though we don't feel it, we know it. We know it. And we understand that when you're talking to the rich of this world, that is us. And God, we are so grateful that most of us here don't have to concern ourselves with what we're going to do for lunch, what we're going to do for dinner, where are we going to live, what are we going to wear. Like, those aren't concerns that we have. Thank you for that, Lord. But I also pray that you will remind us that as the rich of this world, that we are called to a whole different set of requirements. 
that we are called to be rich toward you, to be generous, to not assume that everything that we have is ours, and to recognize that we are mere stewards of what you have given us. So I pray these things, Lord God, and I thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so now we come to our time of, of communion, and this is a, it's a moment in the service where we uh, remember the death of Jesus. And we've got the two uh, elements that we partake of. One's the bread and one's the juice. The bread represents the body of Christ and the juice represents his blood. And so we're going to take a couple of minutes here, think about what we've heard, uh, meditate on the scriptures that we've heard, uh, allow for the Holy Spirit to speak to you uh, this morning, and then, um, then Shay's going to come up on stage and we're all going to take communion together with him. Please feel free to move around. If you need communion, there's communion up front, and there's also communion in the back.
I'm going to go ahead and read a quick passage from Mark 12. It starts in verse 41. It says, And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins that add up to a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Um, That was actually my devotional time yesterday, that passage. And interestingly enough, how it, uh, lined up with what we were talking about today and then what we were singing about. Um, we talk about generosity. We talk about giving. Um, and that's very good for our society. It's very good for those in need um, because we are the rich of the world. Um, but at the same time, that giving and that generosity um, stems from how graciously God gives to us, that every good gift comes from God. Um, And he has so abundantly poured out his grace upon us that he who did not withhold his own son, um, what else would he not give? As he's already given us everything. Um, God gave his son for us. Christ gave his life for us. Um, and that's what we reflect on over this over communion. Um, that it's not grounded in how abundantly we give. Um, but as uh, we sang earlier, like how could I not bring a lifetime worth of worship to you, God? Because He is so generous to us. Um, and so that's that's just something that I wanted to share with everyone as. It is, it's so much easier um, to struggle with generosity when we forget how generous God has been to us um, and how Christ gave his life to die so that we wouldn't have to. Um, and so with that, um, you know, let me go ahead and pray before doing communion. Lord God, we just thank you for your grace and thank you that... Um, you are so abundantly generous to us um, that there's no dollar amount that we can give that would even come close to all that you have given us. Um, Lord, I pray that, that coming from this, that our generosity is grounded in your grace and your, the sacrifice that you made for us. Um, let your grace become more in our lives that we may walk in a way that, that sees clearly how loving and gracious you are to us. Um, we pray in this time um, that you would be glorified in our communion. Um, we thank you for all of it. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you guys would go ahead and take your cup of communion and pull back the first layer. This represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. Mm. 
Now, if you would pull back the second layer. Um, this represents the blood of Christ that was poured out on our behalf. Well, thank you guys for joining us this morning. Um, grateful for you, grateful for this church family. Um, I pray that your weeks continue in grace. Um, a few notes as we leave. Um, if you would like to give an offering or you give a tithe normally, um, you can give at the offering boxes, the black boxes at the front and back doors. You could also give online, or I think we have little, like, pack, like those little things in the back of the chairs. Do we have those? I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, those little... The thing that say Downey on it, yeah. There's like 18 people waving them around right now to tell me. Um, so that one, what was the other one? Oh, if you're new today, if this is your first time, or honestly, if you just think Josh is a pretty cool guy, he'll be waiting in the guest lounge, and he would love to meet you. And if, huh? <laughs> okay, even if you don't think he's a cool guy, he'll be in the guest lounge, and he would love to meet you and get to chat with you a bit. Um, so thank you guys for coming. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, and go in peace.